0: Good morning. You prepped them well, Dean. I love an expression, an old preacher who used to come years ago. Now he's been with the Lord several years, but uh, his name was Roland Hill, for those of you who remember. And he had a... Interesting saying he used to uh, he used to put forth because he was very he was very um, conscious that this is um, this is a special place um, and it's an aw- awesome responsibility to give forth God's word and you so much want to make sure that you're in. God's will, and that you're giving his choice of a message. But he used to have a saying, he said, let us for a moment use our sanctified imaginations. And so I'm going to ask you to do that this morning. And we'll put it forth as an illustration to do with today's message. I want you to picture the nicest, most beautiful auto dealership you've ever seen. And for the sake of peace in the assembly (laughs) and harmony among the brethren, we'll say this is a Toyota dealership. (laughs) And one thing's really interesting on the lot. They're beautiful white cars with gold accent. They're brand new, but they're all identical. They're all completely identical. And the lot goes for acres. And then the front is a salesman representing the dealership. We will use for our example this morning, Ron Cooper <laughs> just happens to be in that business. But he has a big, huge vat full of keys. Now, right next to the dealership, there is an old, decrepit junkyard, dirty, filthy and the cars have already been through the stripping process. Some of you will understand what I'm saying. Some of you won't. And they've been compacted. They've been crushed and stacked, if some of you have ever seen that, before they're shipped off for, to recycle the metal. So there is, at the very least, a stark contrast between the dealership with these brand-new, beautiful cars in the junkyard, with cars that don't even work, that can't work. They in no way are functional. And then there is a big, huge banner that runs from the end of the dealership over to the opposite end of the junkyard for everyone. Free, but you must choose. Which will you take? And it seems that the line of the people waiting goes for miles, goes for ages. And Ron has a most perplexed look on his face for only one in every 40 or 50 is taking one of the brand new cars others are taking one of the wrecked vehicles tying a rope onto them Wrapping it around their shoulders and struggling to tow it off by themselves. What a contrast. Why would anybody in their wildest dreams want that wrecked vehicle when they could have a brand new perfect car? And oh, by the way, those cars run forever. Take it easy, Johnny. (laughs) They have an unlimited warranty. They never run out of gas. The tires never wear out. Which is an added benefit. Why would there be people that wouldn't want one? What could they possibly hope to gain From a wrecked vehicle. And yet they do. Let's take a moment to pray. Shall we? Heavenly Father. We thank you when we praise you this morning. Because we are here. In the name of your son. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so Lord. We just ask now for these few minutes. That you would be in control, that you would direct my words, my thoughts. That you would visit each and every person here this morning, those who know you as their personal Savior and Lord, that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would uplift them, that you would rekindle your love in them. And if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that hasn't discovered how much you love them, we pray that you would visit them this morning with your free gift of salvation. And we commit all these things now in your precious hands, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, by the way, for the song this morning, Taylor. It was a blessing. And for those of us who know him, it's true. He is beautiful. I've titled my message this morning simply, What Can Jesus Do for the Sinner? What can Jesus do for the sinner? Long before I was a Christian, Back when I was a proclaimed atheist, before I needed him when I was drowning in Hawaii, if someone was to ask me, Do you think you're a sinner? I would have said, Of course. Trust me, there's no doubt in that. I am a sinner. Now, isn't that an odd thing for a proclaimed atheist to admit to? Today, most people have some understanding of the word sin. Most understand the word evil. And many have heard, if they don't believe in, the word devil. They know things aren't right with this world. And yet, so many prefer to continue to struggle with their lives than look to the one who can give solutions. And that one, of course, is Jesus Christ. My text this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Verses 1 through 19, oops, excuse me, 1 through 9. To those of us who are Christians, it is an all familiar verse. And yet it still continues to be one of my favorite passages because it is so descriptive of the life of a Christian before and after accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, that is the devil, Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived. In the lust of our flesh. Indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Even as the rest. We heard this earlier today. From our brother Ron. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace have you been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture this morning. First, in answering the question, what can Jesus do for a sinner? If there's anyone in doubt this morning that they are a sinner, let us look to the word of God. Romans 3:23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God said it. We should believe it. And once you're a Christian, a news flash, you're still a sinner. For as long as we're here, we're sinners, but we're sinners. Saved by grace. Amen. Oh, and you started so well. Amen. Amen. Oh, look at that. Just, gosh. God has a desire for the sinner. And his desire is this. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. He desires what? He desires all men. And this is in the scriptures, meaning everyone, not just men, everyone. He desires everyone to be saved and to come into a knowledge of the truth. And that is first Timothy two, three and four. Let me just say this. This morning we are going to be reading a unbelievable number of scriptures. Please, please do not sit there. This is not a Bible drill. Do not try and follow. If if you manage to do it, I assure you, you will distract the person next to you with the rapid turning of your Bible. So let's just listen. If you so desire, a copy can be made available. 1 John 4.10 And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation was a word that simply means to take our place, to accept the punishment, to accept the condemnation, to accept the penalty for our sins. Because that needs to take place. There is a gap between us and God as sinners. Like it or not, that is God's statement. We are separated when we don't know him. So many religious people in the world spend so much time praying and it is doing them no good. For if they truly are not born again, he does not hear. Jesus will save the sinner when the sinner realizes the hopeless position they're in. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. There is a song, and it's one of my favorite, if not my all-time favorite, because it reminds me so much of my life. Before I was a Christian. And then when I became. And since. I just love it. Because it just reminds me. Of how thankful I should be. And the song is. At Calvary. It's number 481. In our hymnal. No need to turn there. It goes like this. Years I've spent in vanity and pride. Caring not. My Lord was crucified. Knowing not. It was for me he died at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. I have goosebumps. I can't help it. It just touches my heart every time I I hear or sing the song, Fear Not. I'm not going to sing the song. <laughs> Only my son is tortured as every morning in the shower pretty much it's one of the songs I sing. In Romans 5:8 it says, "But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us." First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1:9 These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That is a very, very strong statement. Away from the presence of the Lord. As bad as things get. As wicked are the things evil people do right now from. The tragedy of 9-11 to the hurting of small children. It is wicked. It will be worse. There is still such a thing as a conscience in mankind. But when God leaves this planet upon the rapture, the Holy Spirit, God says, will be taken out of this world. And the spirit to do good will be gone and it will be a horrible place. And that's what he's talking about here when he says away from the presence of the Lord. That's the start of it. The minute a person dies in their sins, there is no relationship. There is no presence of God. They are gone forever. They are lost in the torment of eternity in hell forever. There's no dying and you're dead, and that's the end of it, you immediately go to one of two places, heaven or hell. But, good news, Colossians 1.13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Colossians 1.22 and 21 and 22. And although you were formerly alienated, And hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through the death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. The minute Jesus Christ becomes our Lord and Savior and we are forgiven, we are in our standing before God holy and blameless. That's what Jesus Christ can do for a sinner. Remember underlying all of this. Remember the little story at the beginning. And the contrast of those who chose the car, the white car, and the wrecks. Remember that. For Jesus to save us, there needs to be a realization. 1 John 1.10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ came to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Apostle Paul wrote that. The Apostle Paul, responsible for so many books in the Bible. If anybody had the right to say they've earned their way to heaven, it would have been in the Apostle Paul if it was based on works. But after all that was said and done, Paul says, I'm not only a sinner, I'm the greatest sinner. And yet some people would gravitate for one reason or another to the wreck heap versus the nice shiny new car. Proverbs 14.12 There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man. Religion other than Christianity. Religion could be part of their religion could be Christianity. They may believe in other great prophets or Buddha or Mohammed or Hinduism, whatever, or a cult that takes a portion of Jesus Christ. There is a way that seems right. Or how about this news flash that the devil created? There is no God. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And the minute they die, trust me, they will know how wrong they were. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. And what is our solution? For Jesus Christ... To save the sinner, it's as simple as the following verses found in Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth, he believes, resulting in salvation. That's it. Sincere, genuine, no other motive involved. Simply, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. My life isn't what it should be. My regrets are many. All that may have brought you to the Savior. But nothing, but nothing, but turning to him in all sincerity, saying, I'm a sinner, help me. And this is yours. What can Jesus do for the sinner? Number two, he gives the sinner eternal life with him in heaven. And we go to the steadfast verse. It's in most football games, in the stadiums, most basketball, every kind of place. It seems to show up because it is such a powerful message to this day. And in total ignorance, the cameramen usually find it. It certainly isn't. And I'm sure the coordinator in the little trailer says, get that off the screen. But it's too late because people have seen it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What could possibly be better than that? It's God's gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. We do nothing. If we did, we would be an arrogant lot at the least. But we did nothing. We can do nothing. And yet people still go for the wrecked car versus the nice new car. And faith is the key. Is found in 1 John 5.13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Wow. What does Jesus do for the sinner? He saves them. He can save them. But we have to be willing. He gives them eternal life. Find another package that comes close. What else can Jesus do for the sinner once he's saved him, once he's given him eternal life forever? Not just in heaven, but forever. Jesus talks to us. We have conversations with our Lord and Savior. It's called prayer. Psalm 6.9, the Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. That's his children. But in contrast, make no mistake. Proverbs 15.9, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Psalm 66.18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, The Lord will not hear. So many pray every day around the world lost. And he's not listening. Sadly, I'll tell you who is listening. The devil. The devil listens to all voices of all false religions. He's there to help them. God desires to be in control of our life. That's what he delights to do. Now, think about it. The creator of everything. The universe. The one who designed the human body in all its complexities, in everything about it. As people study science, biology, medicine, if nothing else, if there's no belief in their heart, and sadly most don't have it, they do marvel at one thing, the way this body functions, the way this body was created, Is there's nothing to parallel it, nothing. He created it. So he wants to be in control. Do you think he can handle that? He can handle that. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. Pray to him, telling him in the Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit, please, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Give him his desire His joy. Let him have his way with your life. It will be the best. God also, in our conversations with him, wants us to believe him. Matthew 21, 22. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. It is essential in our conversations with God that we Pray to him, believing that he is able. He also wants us to be devoted to him and to prayer to him. Acts 1.14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They were in one mind and they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. God desires for us to be consistent I've given this illustration before, but bear with me, those of you who've heard it. A married man, married woman. The married man gets up, goes in, makes his breakfast, showers, shaves, walks out the door. Comes in at the end of the day. Maybe they both work. Maybe she doesn't work. Not really the issue here. He goes, gets his favorite beverage. We'll keep it for Diet Coke for now. Goes, sits down, turns on the football game. Finishes, grabs something to eat. Done, goes to bed. Most of you have been, have been exposed to marriage of one kind or another, parents, yourselves, somehow, friend, close friends. Just how long is the guy's lifespan If he conducts himself this way. Huh? Not long. Nobody's going to put up with that. Unless the guy's so miserable, it's a blessing. But overall, (laughs) it's usually not the case, is it? There's got to be some interaction. There's got to be some sense of harmony. Most women. And if he's that bad, guess what? Newsflash. He's about to be booted out of the house. Still, they don't accept that. That's why God is, he has, he's a jealous God and he desires to have fellowship with us. And if we ignore him as Christians, not good. We will pay the price. But if we ignore him, there's something underlying that that's much, much worse. How can we ignore the person who rescued us from sin? From condemnation. Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We must be consistent in our life with our God. He requires that. Does he not deserve it? Some people have a hard time getting to the meetings. Some people don't want to come to all the meetings. all the meetings Sunday, Monday night, Wednesday. Ladies, you have one on Thursday morning. but here's the deal. I heard it first from Mike. I don't know. remember where he heard it. But if you're having a hard time, newsflash, a lot of news flashes, I know but. Newsflash: you can't get away when you get to heaven. Got it? Get the picture. There's nowhere to go. You're there. But the good news is, sadly, but if you're in such a state for the first time, you'll want to be there. Because there's a little transaction that takes place. The moment we get to him, we will be like him. We won't be God, but we will be like him. And we'll get along with everybody and everybody will get along with us. Will like everybody and anything that was in you or me that irritated others will be gone and anything in them that irritated us will be gone. There'll be nothing but harmony. How about that? But we should want to be with God's people here and now. He is always accessible in our conversations with him. Always. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, praying always. Now, that doesn't mean that when you're in the middle of your, your work day or in school, you drop to your knees and you go silent and you go praying. No. But you can talk with God no matter where you are, no matter who you're with. And we should. Lord, help me. Lord, give me wisdom. Let me be burdened. Let me love the unlovable. in Philippians 4:6-7 and 8. It shows us that we're to be diligent and we're to be determined in our prayers to God. He tells us not to be anxious. He tells us to be serious in our prayer. He goes a step further. He tells us to there are times when we should be on our knees or prostrate weeping for the lost, weeping for situations. He not only Sees every tear. He loves our tears. So Jesus can save the sinner. Yes. He can give the sinner eternal life. He desires to talk and converse with the saved sinners. And He gives us promises. To help us through this life, he gives us promises. He tells us in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He desires that life is good for the Christians. He takes ownership. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and that you are not your own for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. When he paid the price with his blood in redemption, we are no longer our own. He is in charge. He has ownership and he is in us. The Holy Spirit indwells us the moment we get saved. A wonderful transaction takes place. Character, another issue. Character takes time to become more like him. But we immediately, the millisecond that we accept him, the Holy Spirit comes in. He gives us love, unconditional love, love that's able to love the unlovable, to worship and honor him, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you have a problem with any one of those or all of them, your life is new. That is why we see a change in people that are truly been saved from their sins. There's unmistakable change in their life. Their spouses, their parents, their children, their coworkers definitely see a difference. Because of the Holy Spirit that is in them. That is a promise from God. You will have it. Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is not going to give up on us. He's going to work on us till the day we come face to face with him. There will be change. He will make a difference in our lives. God doesn't want us to feel guilty about our past. Now, sometimes things need to be resolved. There may be things so serious that there are things we have to be accountable for in the past and make restitution. But as far as between us and God, he says, our sins are as far as the east is from the west. They never come together. Okay, they're gone. He has no Memory of it. He does not want us to go around guilty. Sober, maybe guilty. No. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a marvelous thing? God wants us to have a safe and happy future. How's that for a promise? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. In relationship to a troubled, crooked path, he will smooth things out for you. That's a promise. He wants us to trust him for our future. Psalm 37, 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Matthew six thirty three, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all else shall be added unto you. Promises. Jesus gives us inner promises for life to encourage us. God wants to be our source of strength Isaiah Isaiah excuse me, forty verse thirty one. Yet those who wait for the Lord, key, wait for the Lord, let him be in charge, will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not become tired. Philippians 4.13 A special promise That I'm going to give an individual here this morning. But we can all have it. And that's for Dan. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You take that into that meeting Tuesday morning. Amen. That's for you. God wants us, however, to be remorseful. And to be repentant about sin, because once we're saved, unfortunately, we will sin. It is inevitable. It happens. He wants it resolved quickly. He wants to see us ask him for forgiveness. He wants us to take it seriously. Taking it seriously is remorse. We don't take sin lightly. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And last, God loves to forgive and restore his people. He is in the business of second chances. Only God could take that crushed automobile and in a millisecond make it a white car with gold accent, brand new, with all those qualities. That's what God can do. But only God can do that. And my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Will forgive their sin. And heal their land. It is said in Joel. That God will restore all the years the locust hath eaten. No matter how bad the life was, no matter how many difficulties, God can restore. So, what can God do for the sinner? A lot. In conclusion, the best appeal I can make for those who are still wondering if this is really the thing to do is take you and hear the words of David in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 6. And as I read this, I just like everybody's eyes to close. I would like heads bowed. And I want you to hear what David thinks about what God can do in our life. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfies your years with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So what can Jesus do for a sinner? Everything. Everything. With eyes closed. Heads bowed. I want you to take a moment. And I want you to go back to the story in the beginning and remember the new car versus the wrecks. What that is, is that's a story of redemption. The new car represents a new life in Jesus Christ. It's a type. It's a story about. And the wreck The wrecked cars are those who simply won't accept eternal life in Christ Jesus, a changed life, a blessed life. How sad that there are so many who want the wrecked car, who want a wrecked life, who want to continue to to decide that they are the boss of their life. I ask you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please choose the beautiful white car. Please choose Jesus Christ who can make a wonderful thing out of your life. If there's anyone here this morning that would like Jesus Christ, To come into your life, to forgive you, to bless you, to give you promises for life, to give you a good life and a wonderful life. And it's that easy. If there's anyone here this morning, please just slip your hand up. I will pray for you. And you can have that new life. You can have that eternal life. He desires to give that for you. Just tell the character of your old life that you've had enough. That it hasn't done you good. That you leading your life, things haven't gone well. But he can come in and he can make a difference. If you want me to pray for you, simply slip up your hand. Letting me know to pray for you. If you don't have the courage this morning, please pray. Make a difference in your life for the glory of God. Let Him have His way with your life. If you're a believer here this morning and you've seen your eyes gravitating to the junkyard when you have so much in him, take a moment to rededicate yourself. Take a moment to have him rekindle his love in your life. Take a moment to rededicate yourself to the glorious life you have in him. If you want me to pray for you, just take a moment and slip up your hand. And I will pray for you. Anyone? just Slip up your hand to where I can see it. And I'll pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for today. We thank you for your message your message of redemption, your message of love, your message of eternal life, a life full of promises, a life one day to spend forever in eternity in heaven. We thank you for that. We just commit this time into your precious hands, for you are so very faithful. In your precious name, amen.